partnered with Foria Wellness, which is a CBD brand that makes really beautiful self-care products, um, luxury type of things that can help relax you. Um, They make a really nice bath salt, um, a wonderful hand salve, really thick, nourishing hand salve. They make CBD lube. They make CBD suppositories that are one of the only things that I've found that help with my cramps and they help so fast. It's pretty incredible. Um, And now they also make suppositories for for butts. Um, There is a link for that uh, in the show notes. And when you shop through that link, we get a little kickback. So that helps us out and you get some nice stuff. I've also partnered with Lust Cinemas and all their related, uh, they have several different sort of production companies. I'm not sure if they're distinct production companies, but there's X Confessions, there's uh, Lust Cinemas, and then they have a soft core also. So if you like to watch sexy films um, that you know are ethically made and people are paid well. Um, I've intimacy coordinated on some of these sets and I can tell you it's really impressive how they run run their shoots Um, and they make really great content. Um, So I also have a 20% off link to that and the links in the show notes will automatically apply that discount. So that's another way to help the show out and get something for yourself. I have a few upcoming classes to share. I have Authenticity in Social Media with me and Aphomia, my dear friend. That is November 7th and 8th, 10 a.m. to noon, Uh, Pacific time. That's a great class for anyone who has to use social media for marketing, for promotion. So artists, freelancers, you know, if you run a company um, or anyone who wants to build a social media presence, have healthy boundaries with it, figure out what your comfort is in terms of sharing and vulnerability um, and really help find your voice. We'll be brainstorming material, talking about uh, some really specific analytics and tips for the algorithm, how to make reels, uh, posts, videos, all those kinds of things. Then there's Grief with Brooke. That starts November 8th. That class is um, focused on the grief that comes up around boundaries and consent and how your relationships change, how even your understanding of yourself may change, tools, practices, rituals for moving through that grief. That class is going to be amazing. I'm taking that class uh, as a student, so I'm looking forward to that. Then there is a new class that I'm offering, the new basics. It's, um, it's a new uh, sort of compilation of a few classes of mine all together five days in a row, November 27th to December 1st. And that is going to be sort of a survey intro, but a rather deep dive, I'd say, into consent and boundaries, power dynamics, uh, the yes to no spectrum, nonverbals, taking care of yourself through no's, um, avoiding burnout, resourcing yourself, and so on. So I hope to see you there. You can sign up for any of those through the link in the show notes or at consentwizardry.com.
Welcome back. Hi. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Mia Schachter. I'm a writer, consent educator, intimacy coordinator, artist, musician, performer, friend, pet parent, cancer, (laughs) cancer, cancer, sun, Scorpio, moon, Libra, rising. Emphasis on Scorpio moon. Um, Do you feel complete, Mia? Shall I, shall I go in? Does that feel complete for you? Just want to acknowledge, I just want to acknowledge. um, Here's what I'll add. They, them. (gasps) (gasps) Um, Okay. We'll circle back to that. Somebody look up if they, them is in the dictionary. Um, Just kidding. I'm Risden Roberts. I'm also a consent educator. I'm also an intimacy coordinator and I'm also a whore uh, and I don't know, restorative practices facilitator. What else do I do? I'm a, I'm a sex coach. Um, my pronouns are she and they, because I am the most toxic. (laughs) That's it. Welcome to, I have a love hate relationship with the she days. Oh, me too. No, absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to you're You're doing it wrong. wrong. I forgot the twink part. I'm the the twink. Well, I'm so much the twink that last night I was Timothy Shami for Halloween for the fourth year in a row. I repeated my outfit from last year because I could not find another recognizable outfit for myself. And dare I say, I looked super hot. I was like, you don't have to say it. I will just say it for you. Mia looked crazy hot. Yeah. I was, it's giving me complicated feelings. That's like, that's the level of how we're talking about. Yeah, it's great. Um, I was a biblically accurate angel, which is to say that I wore a halo angel wings uh, and I glued googly eyes all over my face and my chest. You also looked super hot. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it went over well at the Hollywood Bowl. It was people were like, are you a biblically accurate angel? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was fun. Um, And you saw Boy Genius. I did see Boy Genius, yes. Which I think exactly 67% of our listening listenership is extremely jealous to hear and that. And the, the rest of them were there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this literally so many people were there. And I was just like, this is the gayest crowd I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's great. Big, big, big lesbian energy. Yeah. What a dream. So there's like a specific t- genre of music. I don't know of those three singers, what all of their proclivities are, um, because I'm not in my Tiger Beat era anymore. I don't even know if you know what Tiger Beat is. The point I is, don't. oh yeah. So this is like late the late millennials or the early millennials, or the old millennials. We used to do this thing called magazines, <laughs> and in the magazines were pictures of all of the heartthrobs. They were like, like Us Weekly, but like for teeny boppers about like Jonathan Taylor Thomas and like mm-hmm. whomever. Um. Anyway, the point Queer is, icon. yes, GTT. yes. It's there's a there's a specific genre of music that like is very lesbian coded. While and yet the performers are not themselves lesbians, which is really fascinating. Hmm. Like Avril Lavigne and yeah, or like um, who's the Michelle one? Michelle Branch. Yes, yes, and the, and even like um, I'm not going to sing on this podcast, Mia. But there's there's <laughs> the uh, 
suddenly I see. Dude, you just, you I know, I know, I know. I lied. Oh, I lied. So I lied. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, yeah, I don't yeah. know who that is. Yeah, again, I'm older than dirt. Yeah, yeah. Someone right now is in their car, in their uh, Subaru, screaming the name of this artist, <laughs> punching the steering wheel, and and shaking their oat milk latte out of its oh mason jar God. because of this conversation. Wait, well, what did you say was the most bisexual drink you'd ever heard of? That you're... Okay, not even bisexual. I went and got coffee with my sister, who's 24, the love of my fucking life. And... um we uh this was in soho and um i was like yeah can i get like a hot oat milk latte or some shit i don't know and she was like can i get an iced matcha latte with cow's milk and i i slow motion turned to her and i said that is the drink of a woman who eats pussy only in the context of a threesome where a man is present and she (laughs) and she fell to the ground because she'd never been read so hard in her life (laughs) <laughs> i'm insistent there are i'm one of five children i it is I, I am insistent that somebody else is gay i'm also the oldest like it doesn't make any sense somebody How else could they not be? i can't i can't anyway well also i mean are we allowed to talk about my family her? sure I don't wanna, like, oh my god are you it. kidding she has a well, leo she has a leo moon she'd be thrilled oh, if we talked okay. about her all right well i just you know when you were like like talking about girls who kiss girls for like for what like for kicks or for queer baiting yeah okay well and then I said like what is it to be bisexual if not to like kissing girls <laughs> like also, that's, like I don't know what else it is I I would also like to venture that perhaps if you are a heterosexual woman um or maybe even a gay man I don't know somebody who just like doesn't kiss women that often please, please try it because Mm. you're missing out. It's the fucking jam. Like you don't even have to, you can just stop there. It's great. Yeah. Right. You don't have to do anything else. Mm. I mean, the girl that I'm kissing these days is such a good kisser. And she told me that I'm a dreamy kisser. And I was like, whoa, I'm filing that away for like a rainy day. That's going to come out and bring me lots of cheer. I just want to let you know that in my head, you're making out on like a a heritage quilt. It is raining. Mm. You're in a cabin. And I'm watching this pillow talk and it's not, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to like do myself to it, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I don't want to, <laughs> just to be clear, my, me and I have a platonic <laughs> relationship. I love, I love them deeply in the beginning of the relationship. I was like, to be queer is to be like, what is this? Right. And uh, I think we both quickly came to the conclusion. It was a comradeship friendship colleagueship whatever yes I mean I also had to ask those questions especially because being your friend is so affirming in a gender sense and sometimes I think I'm like well then I should I would like to have sex with that person you know like I want to be your boyfriend right but it just means that you see me and that's it and that's really nice that's nice um okay well i guess we should have a podcast now and stop yeah, like hitting on each other <laughs> slash talking about my sister boy yeah and the girl that i'm dating who i have not <laughs> yet asked if it's okay for me to talk about on this show um you did or did not ask 
I have not. I have not yet. I mean, I'm not using her name and I'm not no. like sharing, you know, super personal details. I think for the most part, I've just shared how much I'm enjoying smooching her and when and she makes me steak. It's referenced as anonymous female partner in your FBI file as of right now, based on this. <laughs> or your, or for you, I guess, know. your Musad file. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. Right. Well, today we wanted to talk about uh, instances where consent is um, not the priority when that's fine or even good. Yeah, like we've talked about like triaging, like emotional triage, and it's like sometimes I would argue um, consent is less important than other things that might be more important at in a certain circumstance. You mean yeah. like intervening? Yeah. Like for me, the, an example that comes to mind a lot is, um, you know, being in recovery that sometimes I have a friend, um, who was sharing with me a story of one of his sponsees relapsed or like stopped taking his medication, um, for bipolar, I believe, mm-hmm. and was very manic, like literally like barefoot in the street, screaming and throwing rocks at cars Mm. and like needed, would not willingly go to um, hospitalization or some sort of institutional treatment. And so there was like a level of, we have to override this person's consent. Like we need to 5150 this person, which is an involuntary psych hold where they unfortunately Mm -hmm. usually hopefully call medical help professionals in, but in certain cities, it's the police who do it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But like that person's, uh, like life, right? Their physical safety is maybe more important than like getting consent. Right. Especially when that person is is possibly like not in their right state of mind. Right. Um, yes. I think I have, I have several examples and help me, help me not just list these examples by, by, inserting your opinion and asking questions or whatever you want to do so that I'm not just blathering. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So one example is yesterday I was hanging out with a new friend and a mosquito went on his arm and I slapped it. Oh, without asking. How was that received? It was, he was totally fine with it. And I apologized afterwards. I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't ask. He didn't seem bothered. Um, the same thing happened a couple of weeks ago to some where where I slapped a mosquito on some on a new person, and she was so appreciative. Hmm. And I probably could do a better job of of asking. And also like I think it's okay. Well, it's a it's a good example because you don't really have time to ask. Exactly. Exactly. The mosquito lands on you. It's a millisecond before it's right before it's eating you. Right. 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 And this isn't like a life or death situation, but it's like right. You know, I based on me as experience in the world, you've decided that this person probably doesn't want a mosquito on them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I personally hate being eaten by mosquitoes and I get eaten really bad. Mm. So like if someone were to do that to me, I'd be 
grateful, which is not always a good indicator whether or not someone else will be grateful. I have a pretty gentle mosquito slap. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say how hard's the slap. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't do it if it was on their face. Right, 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 right. I, uh, as an aside, if any of our listeners have a explanation for this, mosquitoes don't like me. And I, yeah, that's what this guy said yesterday, my new friend. And I was like, fuck off. (laughs) It's not a humble brag. I'm concerned I have a medical condition. I'm like, why? I have O negative blood type, which they supposedly love, but I just like don't, I don't really get bitten. I mean, I've heard that it's like, it can be. Um, I've heard that like if you eat bananas, it repels mosquitoes. I don't eat bananas. I'm allergic to them. Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Well, who knows? They love me. They love mm. me. If there's one mosquito around, I am torn to bits. Oy. Um, okay. I have some, I mean, you know, I love a, a small, the smaller, the example, the better. So the mosquito <laughs> is the smallest one that I have. I have some larger ones, uh, two that happened to me recently. And then one from, and I feel like I need like a bum, 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 yeah, ugly okay. Betty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll share the one from ugly Betty first. Okay. Also, by the way, I finished ugly Betty. So we will oh. no longer be discussing ugly Betty after today. Um, yeah. Thank goodness. I am about to start the latest season of Big Mouth. I was like, what's um, the, sh- what's the show? Are you going to go back and watch Cheers? What are you, what are you going to watch? Oh you're going to watch, God. you're going to watch. <laughs> No, you know, it's company. total tangent here, but I keep on being like, you could, you, it would be a much better use of your time to like watch documentaries or watch like classical movies and like educate yourself on like film history or whatever. And I'm like, I'll just do it when I'm done with Ugly Betty. Ugly Betty's over. And of course, like the newest season of Big Mouth is out. So I'm like, well, I'll just do it after I watch Big Mouth. I'm like, Jesus, like there's never going to be a shortage of television, even amidst months of strikes. Like there's never going to be a shortage of television to binge because also we have television from like the last hundred years, Mm -hmm. 60 years, 80 years, whatever. Um, Like there's always going to be more TV watch. Anyway. Okay. In Ugly Betty, the, her boss, Daniel, uh, gets sort of, um, like absorbed into a cult um and he doesn't really recognize what's happening he gets his life kind of gets taken over by this he gets obsessed they're taking his money um they're using him to access other wealthy people and it's really clouding his ability to do his job it's it's um clouding him in a lot of ways and ruining a lot of his relationships because so the person who brought him into the cult is like purposefully making him paranoid about the people around him. So there's some, there's basically like a, like an intervention essentially. And this whole, like there's, there's like a, essentially like an ayahuasca, like journey type of thing. He like drinks some tea. He like sees his dead wife and that gets interrupted by this intervention organized by Betty and um, his mother Claire. So, you know, this was an instance. Oh, oh, oh no, it wasn't that though. It was that they were trying to figure out if the cult was taking his money. And so Betty knew his password, his computer. She's like his assistant or something. She was his assistant, but at this point is no longer, but still knows all that stuff. So they break into his like, like bank statements to see if this company is taking his money. Um, He's obviously very upset. He 
he feels very violated and he no longer trusts them. And um, so anyway, you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, these two are obviously really violating this person's consent. You know, I say this as a person who recently got surveilled by a foreign government. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it's very violating. I understand this. And I would be very upset if someone like broke into my computer and read anything on here or whatever. Um, but I'm also watching this and I'm thinking like, there's a way that we can see and that they can see that he is not in his right mind and that other people are controlling and manipulating him. And so they violate his consent um, in order to protect him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think about, you know, uh, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like p- my parents were never that interested in me, to be honest, but that, that people's parents sometimes like read their journals because they don't believe, yeah. you know, kids don't to teenagers, young teenagers, whatever, don't like disclose all of the truth. And they, they also right. are like not super capable of knowing everything they're getting into. And so I think there's an argument sometimes where it's like, yes, it's very violating and perhaps even fucked up, but also like if you think your kid's up to something, like, I don't know, sometimes you have to like break the rules to like keep your kids safe, you know, or in this instance, right. this guy. Well, and of course there's like different circumstances I'm thinking about, you know, there's like fucked up parents doing that, you know, in really fucked up ways. And then there's like, you know, my kid is not talking to me. They seem to be, let's say, on drugs or like Mm. they're hanging out with like a much, much, much older man. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't think it's right to read someone's journal and I'm not a parent. And I can imagine situations in which you're like, I literally, I don't know what else to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm like afraid for my child's safety. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you just gave an example before we started recording of like people getting kidnapped to go to boarding school and how like, and I dated someone whose parents did that to him and it was so traumatizing to him. And yet I'm also hearing you say like some people would not have gone willingly and really did need to be there. And it, and, and your, um, you know, summation of that was like, it saved their life. Well, I went to one of those boarding schools. I went to like a bad girl boarding school, like lockdown for two years in, um, very Northern California. Yeah. And a lot of people were brought there, you know, like woke up in the middle of the night, like got thrown in the back of a van. And yeah, I'm sure that was really traumatizing to them, but also like, you know, being a Jane Doe in a morgue and your parents identifying you is probably pretty traumatizing too, I would imagine. So I don't know, not to be super grim, but Yeah, I think these are all like examples we've given that are kind of like, it's sort of like, um, I mean, the mosquito, not as much, I guess, although you could make an argument it is, but they're about like this person's like safety and like life, like they're continuing to live sort of trumps, right? Like, right. Like what is right or proper, right. In terms of like boundaries and respect and consent. Yeah. Yeah, I think this also brings up, um, and I'm not like a, I'm not super well versed in this, but like the difference between ethics and moral, uh, 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 yeah, ethics and morality, mm. where like what's ethical is not always what's moral, and what's moral is not always what's ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every, you know, everyone seems to have a kind of different version of that, or like different definitions for those words, but like. Like, okay, like, for example, it's not ethical, supposedly, for, like, a doctor to date a patient, 
Mm -hmm. But I don't know that morals have anything to do with that. Like, I'm not sure that there's any, I don't think morality is really part of that. Like I was watching that show, um, shrinking and Harrison Ford, who's in his seventies dates, his doctor who's in her seventies. And like, yeah, she's his doctor, but it's like, these are two grown ass adult professionals who like met this way. And I don't really think it's for anyone to say, I think it would be different if it was like, I don't know, an older doctor and a younger or like, you know, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I think there are people who really want these things to be super cut and dry. It's like, if you're a doctor, you don't date your patient, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a teacher, you don't date your student. And I'm like, I would so much rather that we have like complex nuanced conversations about power dynamics and about ethics than, than make unequivocal statements about like, this is never okay. Yeah. And I think the thing specifically to that relationship, the Harrison Ford, and I forget the actress's name, but she's great. Mm -hmm. She's in fucking everything. She's like been on TV since the seventies, I swear to God. Um, but that he's a very well-resourced person and she's his GP. So like he can go get another doctor. This isn't like some insane, like some like really specific specialist. And he lives in the middle of fucking nowhere. And he's part of like a research team. And he has cancer and she's about to save his life. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he's a therapist. So like, he's not, you know, he's, he's also like well-versed in these dilemmas. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you would hope. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So I want to share two examples of things that have happened to me where people mm-hmm. have not prioritized consent and I've really liked it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one was that I was working with this new producer who has since become a friend and who owes me a text, by the way, because he completely bailed and like, didn't even say anything about the last where time. Are you? Hey. Yeah. Are you listening? Hey. He posted on Instagram today. He's I'm still come alive. After him. Yeah. I'm come after him. Um, okay. So, so I texted him the night before. I was like, what time do you want me to come over tomorrow? He was like, 8 a.m. We're going to the beach. And I was like, what? I thought we were making music. You but should I disclose also... your feelings about the beach to the audience. So that they yes, know I'm, why a, this... I'm, okay. I'm about to. Yeah. Um, so... This was new for me in terms of a producer working with a music producer, but I also was like, sure, whatever. I'm along for the ride. Let's see what happens. Okay. Y'all should know about me that I'm a California baby and I hate the beach. If you've never seen a picture of me, I have the whitest skin perhaps ever. And I burn really easily. Um, I, my, my like sensory stuff shows up as I hate sunscreen i hate the texture a feeling of sunscreen i hate being wet i hate sand the feeling of sand um i uh honestly i just hate west la also like oh. i grew up on the west side and i'm that just like I, I don't want to go over there that i can get on board with fuck the west side yeah i hate the sensation of walking on sand like nothing about the beach appeals to me i'll i i will go look at it and be like, wow, 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 ah, water. Yeah, like so you, that's you it. like 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 a restaurant overlooking the ocean situation. Great, but yeah. love it, perfect. Mm-hmm. It's the I don't beach. really I don't want to go near it. I hate cold water. 
Um, I don't like the sensation of like, I've been to the beach and the water dried and now there's sand all over my body. Mm-hmm. Um, sand in my puss, like, no, thank you. And then there's sand on everything for days. Okay. That's my rant about the beach. I, I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, so he said, meet me at eight. We're going to the beach. And I was like, listen, <laughs> happy to like follow along and you know you're you're taking the reins like this is great but you should know I will go with you to the beach I'm I'm not gonna get in the water I I probably haven't been in the water in like a decade and he sent me this voice memo that was like I hear you I respect you and I'm not gonna force you to get in except Maybe I am, and I'll ask for forgiveness after. Mm. I loved this. I like cracked up laughing. I I was like beaming with because also people who know what I do don't talk to me like this. Mm-hmm. So there was like a little bit of um like whoa, cool, like this is the real world a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, next day I meet him at his house. He drives us to the beach. This is at 8 a.m.? This is at 8 a.m. Yeah, that's the part that's not consensual for me, but go I on. I think it was 8 a.m. <laughs> it was early. It was mm-hmm, early. Mm-hmm. It might have been 8.30, but yeah, it was early. We go to the beach. I put on the sunscreen. Um, and we, like, sit on some towels, and he, like, guides us through a little, like, meditation thing. And then we started to like walk into the water and I was like visibly upset. And I was like, all right, man, like, uh, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. But like, I'm, I'm not going to dunk. I'm not going to dunk. And then Risden, I got in the water. I, he like started floating, you know, he like plops on his back and he's like, this is God, man. And I'm like, okay. And I dunked, I dunked in the water. I dunked in the water. It was so exhilarating. I wanted to do it again and again and again. I didn't want to get out of the water. I was like, I, it was so healing. It was so healing, like with my relationship to the water. You know, part of this is like the sensory stuff. I also felt like forced to kind of like the beach because I grew up in California. We Mm -hmm. had to go for camp and stuff like that. Um, But I also had a couple experiences where I at least felt like I was drowning like mm. getting, you know, um, like boogie boarding and like not knowing which way was up. Mm-hmm. And, and then my sister, when, when we were very little, like she like pushed me down into the water in our pool and, um, and I couldn't get up and Oof. I thought I, I thought I was drowning. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was, it was very, very healing. It was so exciting. Um, And I was so grateful. I was grateful for the pressure that he applied on me to get into the water. Um, Yeah. I feel like this is a, I don't want to pull us away, but I feel like this is an example of where, like it, I know this is an extreme leap. You, You like the small examples. I like the big examples. Yeah. Like, I talk about this in BDSM a lot. Like this is, we are playing the game of consent. Like we're the, the, the rule of the game is we're playing with consent. And this is sort of an example of that, of being like, 
you at any time could have been like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. But the sort of like playful, coercive thing was like a little bit of a dynamic-y kind of play you guys were doing. And it's, and that's part of the delight is sort of the, you know, and that's like the play we did when we were kids too. It's you're, you're the, you're the monster and I'm the dragon, right? Like I've assigned you a role and we're doing this and, and it allows you to kind of play, but like with BDSM specifically, like we're playing the game of one of us doesn't have consent. We're playing the game like in CNC or like, yeah. you know, but even though like I still have a way to at any point be like, I'm actually not getting in the ocean. Right. Right. Like, but that's the game. And that's why we like it. Yes. And, and the relinquishing of control, which is really freeing. Mm-hmm. Um, CNC is consensual non-consent. So it's like rape fantasies and things like that. Um, also, you know, he wasn't physically forcing me mm-mm, into mm-mm. the ocean. He was applying gentle, but firm, like mental, emotional pressure on me to have and, an experience. And playfully. Playfully. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is important. There's sort of this, like, I'll ask for forgiveness after, but, it, but it's yeah. in the guise of play. And if, I think if at any point you would turn to him and been like, bro, he would have been like, he right. backed off, you know? Of course, of right. course. And I knew that to be true. Also the dynamic of like producer songwriter, I was prepared to like, let him dom me a little bit in that context, you know? As somebody who doesn't make music, is a lot of that relationship sort of about him kind of pushing your edges anyway, or being like, let's try this or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, try it this way or like do it again, but this way it's, it's very like director, actor, kind Mm, of mm -hmm. director, actor, writer, you know? So it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's not, it's not like his vision. It's my vision. I'm writing this musical. Um, but he's pushing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, Mm -hmm. that is what I have agreed to. Okay. The second example is that I went to this vampire dyke party a few weeks ago um, with my friend. Uh, Not a Halloween party, to be clear. No, it was, I mean, you know, it was like a pre-Halloween, like October vampire-themed dyke party at Honey's LA. And um, I went with my friend and this guy walked in who I recognized because we had matched on field like a year ago or something and then never talked because I think I decided that I didn't want to date cis men at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he beelines for my friend. And I was like, oh, you guys know each other. Then he looks at me and I'm like, hey, and he recognizes me too. And then we like tell my friend, oh yeah, like we, we matched on field and, and never talked. So then this cute girl comes in. We all talk for a second. She ends up talking to my friend for a little while and I'm talking to this guy. So we kind of faction off into these duos. At a certain point, I say to this guy, I know we hardly know each other, but would you be willing to wingman for me right now? And he's like, yeah, what do you want? What do you need? And I was like, this girl (laughs) that my friend is talking to, I think is really cute. And he was like, yeah, I got you. So we like move the, we like create a circle, you know, I like head butt in the direction. I'm like, let's like scoot this way. So we all start talking. She then goes outside for a cigarette. 
this guy says to me, do you want me to go tell her that you think she's cute and ask if she's interested? And before I can respond, he's gone. Like I take a breath and I'm sure I smile, you know, mm-hmm. and like, blush. What, what were the nonverbals there? Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I was blushing. I'm sure that I was like smiling and kind of excited by the idea. He clocked that and was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so he asked if I wanted him to do that and did not wait for permission, took care of it, came back said, and said, she said, hell yeah, absolutely. She comes back in and I'm being sort of blocked by these other people. He comes over to them and says, hey guys, like you're all cock blocking Mia right now. And so they move out of the way. I end up talking to this girl over at the bar. Um, Anyway, whatever. One thing leads to another. And then we made out all night. And now we're seeing each other. Adorbs. So cute. It also makes me think if I had this uh, situation in this class that I'm in where um, it was interesting. Uh, the workshop leader is a cis white guy and his, I don't know, I think he's probably 50, who was like put in the center and sort of made to do this exercise. Um, and he got very embarrassed in the middle of it. And he said, uh, I feel like I'm taking up too much space. I feel like because I have all this privilege in this space, it's inappropriate for me to be like, um, centered in this exercise. And he, he started crying. And, um, and I told him later because he ended up, the facilitator wasn't taking a break and he sort of like topped her and was like, you need to take a break. And she was like, and she was a woman of color. She was like, okay, we're going to take a break now. And I, pulled him aside. And I was like, that was right use of privilege. And Mm -hmm. I feel like sort of the story you're telling too, is this thing of sort of like using this power thing of being like the cis guy in the group to be like, we're all moving over here now. I'm taking control of the situation. It's like, like the right use of that. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. Yeah. I see what you mean. And I think, you know, one of the things like when we were texting about what we wanted to talk about this week, um, one of the things that, that I wanted to make sure that we touch on is like, there's no right or wrong here. Like had this guy prioritized consent and waited for me to respond, like that wouldn't have been wrong. Mm-mm. And honestly, he took a risk mm-hmm. in not waiting for my permission. You know, my producer took a risk in talking to me like that and telling me that he was going to push me to get into the water. Um Slapping a new friend because they didn't see it on Slapping a new friend, yes, is a risk to some degree. And I think, you know, I've talked to friends, like especially friends who who like struggle with depression. Like Mm -hmm. I I struggle with like bouts of depression um, and anxiety. And like, you know, I'm a person who's like, if I, like I will not want to burden anybody, especially when I'm depressed. So Mm -hmm. I will say like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And what I really want and what what would be best for me is for a friend to actually intrude show up at my house and be like we're going up for a walk this reminds me of I literally have just like posted on my IG and it's way less um dramatic I hope than it is but I've just been like I'm fucked this week if you're trying to reach out to me and I'm not responding I'm in my house drowning in schoolwork please just come by my house. Feel free to bring me a coffee. If you're in my neighborhood, just come by. And people have been doing it. You were here one time. You took, you mm-hmm. came by, took me for a walk. You're like, get in the car and then, or mm-hmm. go for a walk. And then um, my friends, Lauren and Danielle showed up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
it was so, and I would, if they had been like, well, what if we come by this time? What if we do, does that work for you? It's like, I'm not capable of even having those kind of conversations because I'm so overburdened that it's like somebody just showing up and taking the initiative. It makes me think too of, um, our dynamic sometimes where we go, like I'll, we'll meet up under the guise of like going to the coffee shop or going to the the dog park. And then we just, I just sort of sit in your car with you as you do like yeah. 15 things. And I love you used to the term, um, with the producer along for the ride. It's like, yeah. I, I love being, you know, as a fucking pillow princess, bottom pig, even in my friendships, <laughs> I love being just like bottom out. We're sub, going. Yeah. yeah. Sub out. I'm like, I don't, I've said to you multiple times. I'm like, we could drive to fucking Mexico right now. I don't give a shit. Like mm-hmm. I just, I like somebody making those and that's not true obviously in a lot of parts of my life I'm very much like in charge and making decisions but it's in my friendships and things like I I like being like I don't actually need to make any decisions you don't need to check in with me you can trust me to tell you if you've crossed a boundary right or if I need if I now need to go home or whatever right it's a little bit of that like get in loser we're going shopping kind of energy yeah which is hilarious I don't know I I definitely, my gender is Regina George. That's why I yes, that's smiling to myself. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and these are also things that you can ask people when they're not in that state, right? Mm-hmm. Like what would be helpful to you? Like I'm telling you right now, obviously. So now, you know, but like, um, but again, it's, it's a risk. Like, like for someone, you know, I have a friend who will never ask for help and, she won't let me come to her apartment because she says it's, she like still hasn't unpacked and she's been there for like two years. She like still hasn't fully unpacked. Mm-hmm. And I have had the thought of like, Meg, tell me your address. I shouldn't have used your name. Tell me your address. Um, uh, cause there's only one, one Meg in the, in the world. Um, you know, tell me your address. I'm going to show up and I'm going to, or not even to say it right. To like be like, knock, knock. Hi, I'm helping you unpack. I am not judging you because I've known you for literally 30 years. We met in kindergarten. Like I am going to help you unpack your apartment and I haven't done it. I haven't done it, but the thought has crossed my mind. And I think there's like relationships with certain amounts of trust, with certain amounts of intimacy, with certain amounts of familiarity where yes, you take a risk and maybe you have an idea going into it. Like what is the thing that they could say or do that would make me back off. Mm. But, you know, I think especially when people like won't ask for help or are really self-sacrificing or, um, have told you in the past, you know, this is what I need. Like, yeah, just consent or permission are, are not always the thing to prioritize. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not, is the word like empirical, number one, hierarchical, like Mm. golden calf of relationships. Like there's unfortunately, as you also alluded to with this thing of like, there's no right and wrong way. It's like the tragic truth of human relationships is that like, there's no like, um, static way to orient. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or it's just, there's just gonna be fuck ups. And one day right. I might slap a mosquito off somebody who's a devout Buddhist monk who never wants to talk right. to me again. Or a vegan. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I think that there's, um, 
I think that there's like calculated risks that we can take. And I, I think a lot about this, like this empathy thing, like the, the common descriptor of empathy is like, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And mm. I think of like empathy, kind of adult empathy mm. 2.0 is mm. like knowing what I know about you. What do you feel right now? Or what do you need right now? But sometimes empathy 1.0 is what you have to fall back on because you can't you because you don't know so it's like well I know what I would need in this situation and so I'm gonna go with that until told until I'm told that that's wrong yeah and you gave a couple of really great examples of situations in which like I don't have a lot of you didn't have a lot of relational history with these people so it's like I'm kind of coming from my own experiences you know what I mean based on how I feel about mosquitoes and how I feel about making out with people I just met or whatever the fuck it is, you know? Right. And I appreciated that these people took initiative and took this risk and I could have been mad at them. Right. Mm -hmm, But like, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, um, I think this sort of leads us into this other thing around like that often you're, well, it's like two pronged, right. Mm -hmm. There's like people, there, there are lots and lots of people in the world. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably value consent pretty highly. I value consent pretty highly. You, Risden, value consent pretty highly. But there are lots and lots of people in this world who do not. Mm-hmm. And we still have to contend with them. Mm-hmm. And that does it. Also, them not valuing consent does not, um, does not necessarily make them bad people. They may be valuing other things. Right. It might just be like, it's not, um, in their vernacular. It's not, they're just other things they value more. They maybe haven't been exposed to some of this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not like they hate consent, you know? No. Right. We're not talking about incels specifically. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I was talking in class today, like someone brought up that they didn't want to teach consent in the context of like, um, like teaching consent to incarcerated people like in Mm -hmm. a prison because Mm -hmm. they were like, because consent is so inaccessible to them. Mm. I don't want to be teaching them something that they like don't truly have any access to. I thought that was really interesting because I have, I have an incarcerated pen pal who I've had for several years now who I was introduced to by a friend who does horticultural therapy in prisons and jails. Like she met him and she introduced us and, I sent him one of my workbooks and he was like, so all about it that he, that I sent him another one to give to a friend and then please no. And then he gave it to a friend and he was like telling me that his friend was so into it also. I think it's, I don't want to disagree with your, with the, it was a student who said this Mm -hmm. to you. Right. Um, but I think we can bring things to people's attention, even if they don't have full access to them. Like, like, you know, just because you're in a situation against your consent, you know, or where your consent is not respected, that doesn't mean that you can't be interested in this topic. Yeah, I agree. But I also really hear what this person was saying was it was like, this isn't, this is something that, I mean, what, what I got out of that was like that prioritizing consent, when you look at it through that lens is, is actually a privilege. Mm. Hmm. like being able to have autonomy yeah is a privilege Mm -hmm. 
so anyway, beyond that, I think there's, you know, I've been seeing some like rhetoric online around like what's going on in Gaza right now that like, like I didn't consent to my tax dollars being used to fund war. I agree with this sentiment. I am not against this sentiment, but what came up, what comes up for me when I see that is I'm like, you're like, you're speaking gibberish to these people. Like they Mm -hmm. don't know what you're talking about. They are not, they don't care about consent. Mm -hmm. Consent is not on their radar, whether it's Netanyahu, whether it's anyone in the IDF, whether it is our American, you know, Congress people, legislators, like they are not prioritizing consent. They think that they're acting in the best interest of, you know, the greater good of, of the American people of, of whatever, probably the Israeli people like they are consent is not something that they are concerning themselves with in terms of like where your money goes. Right. Right. And as we spoke to, it's, that's actually not what's you don't consent on where your tax dollars get spent. Right. You, that's not part of the ag- uh, arrangement. That's not how democracy air quotes uh, <laughs> works is you uh, supposedly elect an official who represents your interests. That's right. so your, you, once you've cast a ballot, that's, that's kind it. of it. You, you can influence that person by calling them and putting pressure on them or their other things, but like you're, you don't actually have your consent is not part of the equation when they make decisions you've give that you gave them the authority to make decisions on your behalf. That's their job. Right. 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 And there's various reasons for that. I mean, I think, you know, also like I also didn't consent to my tax dollars being used to like fix pavement in Bel Air. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laughing because I literally parked my cars in the Hollywood Hills and I parked my car over the shittily, most shittily filled pothole I've ever seen in my life. And I literally said to someone I was with, I was like, this is some New Orleans shit right here. Cause Mm. like New Orleans, potholes are notorious and i was like what the this is fucking hollywood hill it's like yeah i got money up here what the fuck is this anyway right well yeah i mean and then there's all kinds of things that my tax dollars don't go to that i wish they did go to like gender affirming surgeries mm-hmm. health care you know mm-hmm. so so anyway i think what what comes through to me with that is like don't waste your energy trying to argue that consent is not taking place with people who don't care about consent, right? Like to recognize when that's the case and like save your energy. Yeah. And I think it speaks to this larger thing that we've kind of talked about where it's like, you know, you use the term pruning your echo chamber chamber, where it's sort of like, are we just, somebody said to me the other day, they're like, oh, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm like, yeah, we do a lot of that. Like there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I are a little more interested in perhaps expanding that circle and having conversations with people, um, who aren't as like in the leftist pillow talk sphere. And I'm, I'm yes. thinking specifically about when you shadow supervised me on set mm-hmm. my first IC job, um, which was very recently and <laughs> last week, I think, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of coached me like, and I'm not going to direct quote you here, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, maybe don't use the word boundaries with the actors. I think it was something like, am I correct? Was it something like well, that? It, it wasn't that it was like, you were looking for a term for like mm. the, the boundary conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I, 
unless someone has given you an indication that like this is in their vernacular, Mm. I would just say, hey, let's check in and like talk about where is okay to touch. Because what happens is that for anyone who is new to this kind of communication, there are buzzwords that they've heard that, you know, like, like there are a lot of people who hear consent and boundaries. I've had a director say to me, how long does this mushy gushy stuff take? (laughs) So like when you're dealing with people like that and you Mm -hmm. say, let's have our boundary conversation, they're like, they just roll their eyes and they're like, I'm not this fragile. Okay. Like, please stop, you know, babying me. Like I'm a grown ass adult. Um, or, you know, you'll you'll deal with people who still will say, like, I don't have boundaries. You can touch me anywhere. And I'm like, cool, so I can, like, stick my pinky up your nose? That's always what I or, say to clients when I ask them what their boundaries are. And yeah, they're like, no, I'm, I'm good everywhere. The- I'm like, cool, so I can fuck you in the ass with my fist? And they're like, mm-hmm. what? I'm like, what? okay, so let's try this conversation again. Yeah, let's start over. Back up. <laughs> yeah. It's my whole hand inside. Yeah, that's is, what you came oh, here yeah. for, right? Yeah. Right, right. So... Yeah. So, so I think what this is really, I mean, you know, it's a, I think it's a form of like of code switching. I think other mm-hmm, people would 100. like call it masking in a way. I think it's like learning to speak the language of the people that you're talking to so that you are understood. Like yes. that is ultimately the goal, right? So like I try to, you know, in this program that I'm teaching right now, the consent educator program, like we're at the point where a lot of people are like, what do I call my Instagram? What do I call my brand? And I'm like, just over and over recommending that people avoid using the word consent. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if I could do it again, I would not use the word consent. I mean, I was brainstorming new handles just this morning. What did I say? Boundaries are gay. Yeah, Yeah. they were so funny. Um, Hold on. I have to look. I'm sure they're like so cancelable. What were they? Boundaries That's are kind gay. Of what I'm going for now. Oh, I said uh, mine was at your boundaries don't matter. All underscores in sixty-nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boundaries are gay. I mean, I was at first. I was like queering boundaries, and then I was like, ew. Like I want to barf. And then Blow my brains out. And then I was like, boundaries are gay is really funny because it's sort of like you know taking back like gay as a slur, mm-hmm. making fun of people by making fun of how they make fun of us in a way it's too too meta yeah it's too it's too meta um but also like if you know that that's not very professional well I okay so but I think what's what's interesting is that by me coming into an actor conversation and being like we're going to talk about boundaries and consent I immediately, there's some walls going up and there's some, um, there's some scripts happening in people's heads where it's like, this is really for the actress and to make sure that, and the Mm -hmm. guy has to be like, I'm not a creep. I'm not Weinstein. Right. It's like this, whatever she's comfortable with. Right. Exactly. This immediate binary happening thing happens. And, and if what I want is to have a conversation about boundaries and consent, there are other ways. You cannot, that's exactly right. Yes. There are other ways to articulate that. Like we were brainstorming this and I was like, let's like, let's use actor language and maybe talk about, um, let's just get like an idea of what's going to feel best to us so we can create the most chemistry for you guys on screen. Like even like using some sort of language that's more appealing to them, but we're having the yeah. same fucking conversation. Exactly. I mean, I often say like, we're, we're kind of building a menu of touch so that anything not on the menu is off the table. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's like, it's like, you know, we're, we're giving you sort of um, the equivalent of lines mm-hmm. for you to like improv with. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what I have found is that explicit permission 
is really liberating. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it really frees people up to play and explore. And like, when I talk about it like that, you know, we're building a container that you can play in safely. Mm -hmm. Um, Like then people really understand. Whereas like, if I start talking about boundaries and consent to like, you know, someone who's been acting for 25 years, they're like, yeah, I'm not seven years old. Like, yeah, they're like, therapize me. This is my 30th sex scene. And yeah. this is the first time I've had this conversation. So like, what right. are you doing? Right. Why what we're are... doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I want to give some really concrete examples of like when other values can come into conflict. Um, I'll give some like more general examples and then I'll get specific with consent. So like, I have a value of my values of transparency and authenticity Mm. may come into conflict with my value of um, impact. So for example, I want to be transparent about the fact that I am pro porn and pro sex work and that I've worked on porn sets. But there are going to be instances in which me being transparent about that is going to reduce my potential impact. Mm-hmm. If I am talking to a group of parents, if or I'm like talking. Nickelodeon is trying to hire you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If I'm trying to um, get high, I don't really work with kids and I don't really go into schools, but like, let's say I wanted to do that and an elementary school was going to hire me to do like a, a consent, you know, boundaries series of games for, for the kids or even like a camp. Right. Um, and I am working with a camp, but I'm teaching the counselors. Um, yeah. Like if certain parents found out that I do that, they would get me fired and then my impact would be reduced. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be instances in which I am going to be less transparent because I'm prioritizing my value of impact in that particular situation. So, I mean, do you have an example of this for yourself when you're valuing conflict? I was just thinking about, this just happens all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why people, it, it feels like a new phenomenon where we feel entitled to everyone's entire life history. Like, if you were educated by teachers, like you didn't know about their personal lives, you know what I mean? You'd see them at the grocery store and be like, oh, you have like a life. This is crazy to me. Right. Or like politicians or famous people. It's like, I don't have any right to their private life. Like, I don't know. That's what it made me think of. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I mean, I, I, agree. I think there's like, you know, in, in business, it becomes a little different where it's like, transparency about business but I can think about like you know a value like let's okay so let's let's look at a, let at values like justice and connection mm. so sometimes when I prioritize justice I will push myself to advocate to educate to tell people when I think they're doing something harmful, racist, transphobic, fatphobic, et cetera. When I'm prioritizing connection, I have to increase my patience. Mm -hmm. I have to increase my tolerance for activation often around exactly those same things. 
And so when I'm prioritizing connection with like, you know, my extended family, let's say, especially like in going home for Thanksgiving, I'm a little bit nervous about like if the conversation turns to Gaza. Like, but my plan is to go in prioritizing connection, Mm. which is going to get in the way of perhaps prioritizing what I believe to be justice. This sort of brings in, and I'll, I'll be quick about this, but this idea that I, I, it's not an original theory. I forget who said it, but most conflict is people wanting two things at once that are in conflict yeah. with each other. So like if I simultaneously want justice and connection, that's going to create tension as opposed to just picking one to be 10% more important in this For moment. Now, in right, this or like, situation. I want to be an A student. I also want to have relationships with my friends and I want to get eight hours of sleep. It's like, that's, you know what I mean? Like I have to, I can't have all three of those at one time. I have to sort of put one on top of the other. Yeah. I, I want to say, I learned a lot about this stuff around values from Sarah who runs comprehensive Mm -hmm. consent, Sarah Casper. I also learned from Minachi, my friend who does um, decolonized nonviolent communication. She talks about how like, the, you know, we all have these human needs. So this is different from values, but human needs, such as like security, Mm -hmm. uh, connection, community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, safety, all these things. And we don't, conflict does not arise from the realm of needs. It arises in the realm of strategies. Yes. So it's like, it's how you go about achieving it that creates conflict, but like everyone has the same basic universal human needs. You know, we all need connection. We all need safety. We all need stability. Um, okay. So then when it comes to consent, whatever we can, we can consider examples of like, you know, I'm, I'm prioritizing impact over consent. I'm prioritizing, you know, this person's life over consent. Like I see them about to jump in front of a moving train. I'm not prioritizing consent right now. I'm pulling them out. Narcan administration, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not prioritizing consent when I'm administering Narcan. I'm prioritizing this person's life, their survival. Yeah. My friend just got strip search uh, coming out of the New Orleans airport and was really, felt really violated about it. And you know, obviously you can argue their consent was overridden. I mean, they consent, they consented to ride the plane and this is part of the deal is that this can happen to you, but you know, it's sort of like the trolley problem, right? It's like the safety of this plane and it's other, um, uh, customers, whatever people flying on the plane is, is actually a little bit more important than you, your, your discomfort with the situation. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Right. And then I think there's like, you bring in like racial profiling into the mix and it gets like unbelievably more complicated. She's even blonder than me, if you can believe yeah. this girl. She was yeah. wearing one of those bodysuits that snaps at the crotch and the snaps were setting it off. So they were oh like, she's God. got something in her vagina. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So she had to oh do like a God. full strip search. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that there's like, I, I just, I, I wanted to really get into this, like, this thing about looking at consent as like a a value, like many Mm. other values. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that there's a way that I would imagine a lot of people think like consent is just the number one thing. It's the number one thing. It's the number one thing. And especially like with what I do that they would assume that to me, Mm. it's the number one thing. 
Yeah. And I, I definitely think I find myself in work situations and, and more specifically with myself, I often override my own consent for other needs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like other values, like, um, yeah, financial security. I might push myself past what I need to do or meet a deadline right. or show up for a client or, you know, those kind of things where I'll, I'll override my own consent. I feel like, or my own capacity. Yeah, totally. And I think that there's like instances when that's even the right thing to do. It's the Mm -hmm. right thing to do, you know, like, like it's the right thing for me to follow through on a commitment that I made a lot of times, even Mm -hmm. though I would rather change my mind and not go, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, it's the right thing to push myself to go support my friend because they're playing a show. And I told them I would go. Yeah. It makes me think about, I, you know, taking communion at my aunt's funeral. It's like, I'm not a practicing Catholic, but this is really important to my family. Like the, the being Catholic is like, it's, it's religious, but it's also cultural. It's this thing we all have in common. My aunt really valued her. This was the church that like my, um, mother and aunts and uncles were like raised in, like out of respect to the, to the church and to the priest, like I'm going to do communion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even though it's, it's not being forced on me. I'm acquiescing willingly, but there's a little bit of a consent thing there. I'm not. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The value of connection and of like respect for my family is more important to me in this moment and showing respect to my, my aunt and, and also just not creating tumult at a time Mm -hmm. when we're all dealing with grief. It's like, let's not, my needs are not as important, right? Like triage. I'm not going to make my need to make some fucking statement about the Catholic church more important than the fact that like my cousin, her daughter is grieving here with her children. Yeah. Like three-year-old son, like that is more important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think there's like, I, I, yeah, obviously I value consent. I, I think that there is I think it's important to have room for other values and, and to loosen up, you know, reject the rigidity around that. And I think there's a way that consent, unlike any other value becomes extremely rigid where people are like, no, there's one way to do this. And like, there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. And if you're not valuing consent, then you're violating me. And it yeah. doesn't seem to be the case with all kinds of other values, like acceptance and compassion and community and connection honesty. and even care, honesty, honesty auth- authenticity, like all these other kinds of values. It's so much more about, um, I don't know, like your way of doing it, what feels right to you, you know, how to be, it's way more fluid. And there's this strange way that consent almost, almost taps into this like mathematical robot Mm. brain. Yeah. And it's always, it's, um, you know, this thing where things get turned into consent violations or they get turned into you violated my consent when it's like, that's maybe not actually what happened it it becomes like very black and white where it's like that's not yeah you know or like for example like we gave some examples of consent being violated where it's like that's maybe was like for the best or was like necessary and it's or I'm really grateful that this mm -hmm. person was not prioritizing consent in that moment and like and took that risk that I 
the consent wizard like would <gasps> like would be upset you know I think that's really the thing that we're kind of putting our feet in here is that like it's not that rigid and that like there there isn't a static truth or a static black and whiteness to this that there's like something in the moment that that we're we're we kind of have to dance with and is maybe not always going to be received perfectly, even though we have best intentions and we're, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. I think also like something that really helps with this is like knowing how to check in after and like talk about your expectations or like give feedback or ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like I did not feel violated by this guy going and telling this cute girl that I was interested in her. I did not feel violated by that at all. However, I could check in afterwards, you know, like I could say after like, even, even to, and I have, I've said to him, like, thank you for doing that. I, I'm really glad. And I like, I feel like I have to give you credit. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know in, in, I'm thinking like, in a sexual context, right? Like to like do something that you want to do that you feel compelled to do in the moment. And then realizing like, Oh, I didn't ask if that was okay. Mm. And then being able to, after the fact go like, was that okay? Is there a way that you would want me to do that differently in the future or whatever? And if someone says, yeah, actually I would prefer, you know, that you not do that or that you ask before you do that next time, not to have that mean rape. <laughs> I'm just right, going so to the extreme, but, but no, like, exactly. But it's yeah. like, oh, my consent has been violated. It's like we're we're in even in vanilla sex, we're in the world of play, and there's like this element of sort of pushing against each other and 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 receding from each other and sort of figuring it out together. That you know, I mean, I've I've had a lot of like pre-sex conversations where it's like. This, 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 this is okay. This is not okay. And that's totally fine too, but it's not always like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean someone has violated my consent by like trying something and me adjusting them in the moment or afterwards. Right. Yeah, totally. A lot of what I like to do when I'm figuring out someone else's body is like, I like to get to a point where I'm like, I want to just do whatever I do. So, and you know, and obviously I have to have earned their trust in order to do that. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to go under the covers right now. Please don't pay attention to me. The best thing would be if you like read a book right now and I'm just going to explore and do whatever I want. And then you can tell me afterwards, like what you liked, obviously, please tell me if I do something that you don't like, you know, and then even before I'm doing that, I'm like, is there anything that I should know? Like anything that I should definitely not do or that you really don't like? Um, but yeah, like that's my favorite thing is like, I'm just going to do what I want to do down here. I'm going to play around, be creative, try things. And then you tell me what's okay. And what's tell me what's not okay. Tell me what's okay. Tell me what's more than okay. Yeah. It's this thing we Mm -hmm. talked about. I forget what, I think it was a a Jungian thing that I read, but it was like this, this thing with, with sex is that like, we have to, 
we're using another person for our gratification at times. Yeah. Like we're also gratifying them. We're, we're receiving gratification from them and we're also using them for our gratification. Right. right. And so we have to trust that person has enough, um, of a sense of self to yes. be able to, if I push too, too much into their self that they can push back. Right. Right. That's the, that's the trust that's cultivated when someone says no to you. Like, mm-hmm. and and you're really, you're talking about the wheel of consent. I mean, there's like, there's four quadrants on the wheel of consent. There's serving, which means I'm doing something to you for you. Mm-hmm. There's um, accepting, which is being served. So like, you're doing something to me for me, mm-hmm. and that's going to have a certain kind of charge. Like, you know, if you're going down on me for me, then I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to tell you what I like. I'm going to give you direction. But then there's the taking and allowing dynamic where when I'm taking, I'm doing something to you for my pleasure, not for my pleasure. Betty Martin would, would tell me that challenge that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say slap me on the wrist, but I think she would never, um, unless there was a mosquito. (laughs) Yes. Um, No, taking is like, I'm doing something to you for my benefit. And then allowing is letting you do something to me for your benefit. So if I go down on you from the taking quadrant, I'm going down on you because I love that. And I Mm want to do that. mm -hmm. It's going to bring me a lot of pleasure. Then I am going to be creative and play and explore. And you maybe get to sit back and surrender a little bit and like witness what I like. And what's bringing me pleasure and how I creatively express my desire using your body. And like, yeah, please tell me if I'm doing something that doesn't feel good, but it may be less about you giving direction and feedback in the moment and more about you getting to witness my desire for you. And you may also in that dynamic, learn new things that you like because you're letting me take the reins. Right. And maybe it will shift. Right. Right. And then I'll be like, I actually, this, this is so lovely. I'm getting really aroused. And now I want to focus on, I would like to have an orgasm. Let's make this about me. Do you know what I mean? But keep like, you're still giving, right? I mean, I recently learned something that makes me come that I didn't know makes me come because I let someone else do whatever the hell they wanted to me. Yeah. And then I made sounds I've never heard come out of my mouth. Was this recently? Yeah, it was last week. Ugh. Lord of my I mean, I'm having the most intense orgasms of my entire life. I don't know what is going on. Maybe I'm just like, I know what's my... going on. <laughs> what's going on? I'm, I can't, I'm... I can't say it. I don't want to. <laughs> this person is not consented to being on the podcast. But <laughs> I know what's no, going no, on. It's, no, but it's not even with, it's not even just with her. It's like on my own. Oh, like, I, yeah. Like, I think it's like something about, you know, be, I mean, I'm, I'm healthier now than I've ever been in my mm. life. Like my, I'm like more in my body and I'm enjoying being in my body more. I think I used to use sex really as an escape because I was just constantly physically horribly uncomfortable. And then, you know, it was then made worse by the tapeworm that I had. So like now that I've, I'm, I weigh more than I've ever weighed, which is like a really healthy thing for me. I've been chronically underweight my whole life and malnourished and all this stuff. And so I've been wondering if it's that I've been wondering if it's like, I'm, um, you know, uh, um, that I was on tea for like six weeks. I'm like, I don't know. Did that change some path neural, whatever? Like maybe, um, I'm surprised that that would like have continued like months after like not being on it anymore. You're like, I don't milli- know. you're like milli millimeter of bottom growth has just like, shifted. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't oh. know. I don't know. I've honestly, I've been having like longer, more intense orgasms than I've ever had in my entire life at 34 years old, solo and partnered. 
Mia, I have terrible news. I have to go because I have a client call in 90 but I'm seconds. Talking about I know. And this is all I want this podcast to just to be us talking about sex. So this is great for me, but, but okay, I have to well, go. We, next time. Okay. Yeah. I have to go to, I have to take my doctor. I love you. I love you too. So glad we did this. I'll see all you right. very soon. Bye. Bye.